huge news, years in the making, my brand new book that my publishers refuse to publish, Money Matrix. Beat the money system and build generational wealth. Understand the three main ways that the banks productize you and make money from you. You'll be able to turn that system against itself, build generational wealth and multiple streams of recurring income. It's all at moneymatrix.cash. And if you're quick, the first few hundred registrants and buyers will receive many special bonuses from me. The brand new Moneymaker Summit three-day special event. Meet me at a champagne reception. Meet me at a multi-millionaire networking dinner. Go now, moneymatrix.cash. This is huge. This amazing human has become a friend of mine over the years. In his niche, he's the biggest in Europe. Might even be the biggest in the world. He's also a billionaire. And also, there's just been a movie about his life and um, it's just gone absolutely viral, which is freaking amazing. So please could everyone stand up and give a huge round of applause and a warm welcome to our special guest, Mr. Alfie Best. I didn't expect the film to do as well as it's done. I, I, I really didn't. Um, but it has, and with the good grace of God, and um, some things I got caught out in on the film very badly. If you watch it, you'll see. <laughs> what does that mean? What does that mean? I'm joking. <laughs> um, but it's all about marketing. For me, it's about directing the traffic. Uh, what the film allowed me to do was show how passionate is what we do. And I couldn't buy that marketing. So we had that within the social media, we had that with the press releases that we did with it. And it's work. You know, people think of it as being fun and X, Y, Z. Same with what Rob does on YouTube, LinkedIn, all of, all of that with those outlets. That is work. But it's work that adds to your brand, adds to the direction of the traffic where you're trying to push it. And it then gives you a platform in which to sell from, in my view. Mm. So I'm going to ask the first question just to give you a bit more time to come up with your question. Alfie, do you... <laughs> do you run your helicopter through your business and claim it as a business expense? I do, and I can lead on to that if I can. Yeah. Okay. Um, we, I heard a question earlier from a gentleman about tax. Okay. Just so we're aware, I'm quite outspoken of how I feel about tax, but to carry this on from the helicopter, I genuinely run the helicopter for business purposes. I run, I live a humble lifestyle, okay? I have great cars, I have great houses, but they're what I can afford, but I'm not an extravagant person. They're there to be fair with you as props. I enjoy them. The helicopter is one of the few things that I've got that is a real business tool. I've got parks. Now I've got 119 residential parks. I've got 24 industrial estates. And I think there's 60 houses dotted with those as well. As well as the other 15 businesses that we operate. From Aberdeen to Land's End. So if I drove Every business, every house, every park, it would take me three years to do one a day. Three years. Whereas in the helicopter, I can do five a day. Okay? The revenue has 
decided that no, it's private use. We run it as a business expense. And just to put this into perspective, I've got 32 tax inquiries, which have been spanning over seven years. I had a debate, which is putting it mildly, <laughs> with the tax inspector and two VAT inspectors. And I said to them, I said, look, can we be clear? What's the problem? Now, I've got them on Zoom. By the way, when they come on Zoom, they're faceless if you're at that level. And they said, well, we want to make it clear this is not a witch hunt. I said, OK. Do you know that I'm a gypsy? The room <laughs> silent. I'm very proud to say this episode is sponsored by AG1. As you know, we're more than 1,000 episodes into Disruptors, and I very rarely have sponsors. I'm really choosy on sponsors, and I only pick people that I love myself and I use myself. I have turned down loads of sponsors, but personally, I've been using AG1 for nearly 14 years myself before we ever did a sponsorship deal with them. For me, AG1 really helps with my mental focus, clarity, and overall well-being. As someone who's really freaking busy and can't always sit down and eat a million vegetables in a day, knocking back a big pint full of AG1 in the morning is perfect for me. Of course, health is wealth, and I'm in my mid-40s, I'm realising that more and more. So if you'd like to try AG1 yourself with a special exclusive offer that I have for you right now, go to drinkag1.com forward slash disruptors. That's drinkag1.com forward slash disruptors and get a free year supply of vitamin D3, K2 and five travel packs with your first purchase on me. So one more time, that's drinkag1.com forward slash disruptors. AG1, thanks for sponsoring the show. You are legends. <laughs> then all of a sudden they plucked up the courage to say, what difference does that make? I said, it makes a lot of difference. I said, because we said we're going to have a truthful meeting. Do you know I'm a gypsy? Uh, yes, but we don't see what difference that makes. Now, just by that context, I know it's making a difference. So I said, it makes a lot of difference. I said, you are a bike rider investigating a helicopter. <laughs> I said, so why would you even be competent to investigate how a helicopter works? And they said, we feel you're being very condescending. <laughs> I said, no, 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 I'm not being condescending. I said, condescending, I said, is you saying I'm being condescending? I said, do you ride a bike? She said, What's that got to do with anything? I said, you're investigating a helicopter. So she said, well, uh, uh, well, uh, so obviously she did ride a bike. Now I ride a bike. But if we're going to investigate something, let's have a discussion about a bloody bike. Because we can both talk about that. But don't discuss with me a helicopter if you've never been in one. You don't know how it works. Don't. That doesn't work. Now, in the UK, I speak out against the tax authorities because I couldn't give a toss. Why couldn't I give a toss? Because I'm in their top 500 specialist unit that they investigate. The UK is the only country in the world that chases wealth out of the UK. 
It's the only country, and I'll prove it to you. So before I do, but I, and, and there is an answer to this which will give you comfort, massive comfort, that I would suggest that you do. And this is an answer to your question. I wanted to put my hand up there, but I, I thought oh, yeah, I'd wait. So I said to them, I said, look, they said, on your helicopter, it says private, 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 private. I went, yeah, and? Well, it's private use, isn't it? I went, and this is exactly what I said. I said, no, idiot. I said, it's a private helicopter. <laughs> well, no, it should say business use. I said, well, I would then be breaking the law. No, you wouldn't. I went, excuse me, you ride a bike, I fly a helicopter. <laughs> it would be breaking the law. This is how the conversation was, this conversation we recorded. I said, no. I said, you are wrong. No, we're not. I, I, I've got a bike rider telling me how that I'm wrong. Now, I know I'm a pikey and I know I was born in a caravan, <laughs> but I now do fly a helicopter. <laughs> so I think that puts me in a little bit of a different stead. You know, I've come from the bike to the car to the helicopter. <laughs> But I swear this is true. This is on my mother's life. I swear this is true. And this is recorded so it can be replayed. So I then said, you want me to break the law. It is a criminal offence. I need an AOC licence to commercially fly the helicopter for business use. I said, but a business can own the helicopter privately and use it for business use. But if I want to rent it out to you, Rob, or to your good self or whatever, I require an AOC licence for the air aviation. They didn't know that. The VAT inspector who was sitting with her, I swear, this is on tape. He went, well, that makes so much difference, and I understand it now. <laughs> she says to him, pipe down. <laughs> I'm like, I cannot believe what I'm hearing. <laughs> now, before I go on to say the next, so we've got investigations going. So in seven years, they've found zero, and they've got 32 investigations on my companies, on this, on that, and the other. Because how the revenue looks, if they stand underneath a tree with enough fruit, if you keep shaking it, eventually you'll just pay for them to go away. They couldn't have picked on the worst person with me. Because I don't care what they do, as long as I do it legally, properly, within the arms and the remit of the law, I'm not giving them a penny more than they deserve. And that's how I feel. Now, <laughs> you, that takes deep pockets to do that. And I don't have deep pockets to waste it on the revenue. So the answer to this is with your accountants. And don't confuse your accountants who are basically glorified bookkeepers that are educated bookkeepers. They are way different to a tax advisor who understands the law. And I've summarised this. An accountant is somebody that is an airline pilot. He is a genius. He knows where everything is. He's going to get you on the plane, he's going to get you to New York, and he's going to land the plane safely, correctly, with all of the tools and the instruments at his 
at his disposal. And he's going to do a great job for you because that's what he's taught to do. That's what an accountant does. But an air traffic controller says, hold on, fly at 22,000 feet. There's another jet coming. You'll miss it. Fly to the 45 degree. It's going to miss the headwind and less turbulence. Air traffic control keeps that airliner safe in the sky and missing every other jet. That's what a tax advisor does. Don't confuse the two. And trust me, they're worth paying for. They are worth paying for. When you do your accounts every year, whether it's for you personally or whether it's your limited company, make sure you take out insurance. That's important. This is the key. Take insurance out. If ever you have an investigation, you can say, bring it on. Because you've now got insurance. And let me tell you something. The revenue don't like you having insurance. The reason they don't like you having insurance is they're not hurting you as much. They now realise that you're not suffering the pain. Now, this is what got said in that statement. I said, why are you targeting me? She said, well, this is not a witch hunt. I said, don't be stupid. Of course it is. I said, you've got a tax investigation on my MD, my sales director. I said, my family, my um, estates director, my FD. I said, and four other members of my company. I said, come on. She went, you sit within the top 500 people in the UK. She said, and we investigate all of them. She said, and we don't believe that you've paid enough tax. I said, great. How much is it I owe? Well, we haven't got there yet. I said, after seven years? <laughs> after seven years? Now, this is what the revenue do. Now, I take it that you're involved in accountancy or... No, no, I'm, I'm, my background is... On plastic surgeon and a property investor. Accountant. <laughs> <laughs> and the reason I say that is because plastic surgeons have to calculate whether you're going to sue them or not. <laughs> the insurance is going. <laughs> so, anyway, um, the, uh, the revenue in this country, and I just want to make some bearing statement. We have one of the greatest countries in the world that is living still on its laurels of being Great Britain. When's the last time that you saw a foreign national come here and start a business? Name me one. You may have seen them come here and park money up and invest in city centres. Two of the most common questions I'm getting asked at the moment is where do I buy my watches and where do I buy my gold? People don't know this, but I've invested in gold for 17 years. If you go back to 1971, the birth of fiat currency, the devaluation of money, money's gone down by 85% in value since then. But you could buy one ounce of gold for about $30, which peaked at over $1,500. Gold is a great defensive asset class. Gold is a great hedge against the matrix and the system. It's a great hedge against inflation.
and I've finally found someone who I am now partnering and has become a sponsor on the show, and that is Josh Saul of The Pure Gold Company. He has a special offer where you can get a complimentary investor guide and book an appointment to get your own private consultation at pure-gold.co forward slash Rob hyphen more. I buy my gold from this company. So if you'd like to just buy the gold or get the investor guide, go right now to pure-gold.co forward slash Rob hyphen more. Big shout out to the Pure Gold Company for collaborating and sponsoring this episode. You've never seen them come here and say, we're going to start a fledgling business. Because it's not welcoming. It's not tax efficient. Now, I'm not a politician, but I could sort today the north-south divide of the money divide. Today, and I'll, I'll come to that. I know we were going to do a Q&A, but, That's all right. well, I'll sort that. <laughs> but tax I want to come to. Insurance. When you do your end of year, and it's cheap, it's not expensive. Especially if your accounts are audited, it's even cheaper. Because you've got another guy who's auditing those accounts going, bang. So, the, the, they're correct. So they've been double checked. The revenue. This is why this country has lost its way. We have the greatest entrepreneur in the world that was homegrown here. He's a personal friend of mine. I'd go as far to say he's ahead of Elon Musk, he's ahead of Jeff Bezos, he is the man. And that man is Jim Radford. He opened up 20 years ago a fracking business built a business worth 50 billion pounds in 20 years from the age of 40. Actually 44 to be exact. Now, what makes him so great? What puts him in front of Elon Musk? Real simple. In the US, they've got 370 million people. In the UK, we've got 70, we've got 70 million. And secondly, his was based on property. But he just found another way fracking, bringing energy up. Why do you think, he said to me, he said, why are you here? He went, what are you doing here? I went, he went, this is, why do you think he left the UK? He left the UK because he's got seven private jets and the revenue decided they were gonna tax him on his personal use for using his jets for personal use. Why would you chase that man out of the country? Do you know what he did? Well, okay, I'll move my head office to Singapore and I'll move to Monaco. Have zero. Why would you lose? Why would this country lose such great people that are just like that to me? This is like digging a knife in me. Then you've got Richard Branson, the greatest marketeer the world has ever seen. Everything Virgin is a marketing machine. When he was flying a balloon around the world, he's got no interest in flying a bloody balloon around the world. <laughs> but Virgin did. Virgin did. Everything is about marketing. The amount of businesses that you think that Richard owns actually are marketing machines. Phenomenal. He left 20 years ago. Alan Sugar, gone. 
Anybody you can throw at me in the UK has gone. Myself, I'm going. Why? Not because I disbelieve in the UK. I love the UK. But the problem we have, and I thought that Rish, Rishi Sunak was going to be one of our greatest politicians. Thought he was going to be our great Prime Minister. But I think that he's failed. Because, as far as I'm concerned, he's whitewashed. He might as well be white. I thought he was going to be the Asian, Indian immigrant with that entrepreneur spirit, that, you know, and really... No, it's got lost somewhere. But he could have been one of our greatest Prime Ministers, in my view. Now let's take the US. Name me any entrepreneur you like. Elon Musk, which say him because he's known as the richest man in the world. Jeff Bezos. Anybody. They're still there. Why? Because the US allows them to set up their trusts. They allow them to shelter their wealth. They want their pound of meat and flesh, but they've got the good common sense, keep the wealth in your country. Don't boot it out the door. So... This is a very sombre, what I'm saying. But you have to work within the confines of the box that we're given in the country we are. But it doesn't stop us stretching it. It doesn't stop us stretching it. And where you can stretch it is this. Because those investors aren't coming here, and because you've got investors leaving here, that leaves a magnet for people that are in the SME division. To grow to the point where the revenue then want to chase you out. Because you know when they want to chase you out? You've made it. <laughs> You've made it. Now it's crazy for the country, but it's actually good for the SME businesses that are here. Because they do get support. And I actually think that eventually will be taxed heavier. There's a tax, for instance, that has been swept over. I can't quite remember what it is, but I know what the tax is for. It's actually a poor person's tax. And they haven't even realised. It's cars that I think are 10 years old or 8 years old now. If you drive in London, you're 12 quid or 15 quid a day just for having a car that's old. Now that <coughs> is a poor tax. And yet it's been swept over. When people say stamp duty, oh, it's only on a £500,000 house. Ten years, we'll come through this dip that we're in. We'll go back. You're going to see most houses in the UK heading that way. They're all going to be paying 10%, but they can't see that far ahead. Sorry, I'll stop there and I'll take some questions. <laughs> right, show me your hand if you've got a question, just so I can see. Cool, they've warmed up now. All right, great. <laughs> We're going to start with Fee. So this is Fee Crossley. This is Alfie Best. Um, Fee, what's your question for Alfie? Thank you for being here today. Thank you. Pleasure. Um, and congratulations on the movie. We're going to watch it. <laughs> um, my question was actually just everything about what you said in terms of that I felt that I wanted to leave the UK for quite a few years now. Um, where would you advice to go to in the world and what do you think about 
children's schooling because that's what's really important to me at the moment is where my daughter and my niece where they go to school because at the moment they're in private school in the UK because we're trying to give them the best education but I'm also thinking about going out of the UK as well where would you advise? Okay look Number one, I can't advise you. What I can tell you is what I think, because somebody, I don't know your circumstances. But to put a broad point on it, I'm moving to Monaco, I'm already applying for my residency, but I haven't stopped looking at other places to go, because all of these countries can kick you out. Now, Monaco, I need to be there for six months and one day, I'm allowed back in the UK for 90 days. That's enough. Because I'm a workaholic. I will never stop working. And when I, I'm in the process of now buying a business in Monaco, which is an estate agency group, not because I want to run an estate agency there, because I want to go to work every day. I want an office to go to work. And I will slowly now relook at re-diversifying our management office outside of the UK, our marketing, our finance, and I will then potentially set up my own bank and relend all finances back to my own company and charge a higher interest rate because I'm, I'm entitled to do that. And that then slowly strip out the profits, profits of my company, legally, correctly, and I'll work within the confines of the law. Now, you've given me two questions without realising it. In the answer that I just gave you, it was all about money. Nothing else. I didn't concern myself with my other half. I didn't concern myself with my family because that's what the revenue want you to do. They want to trap you by saying, oh, but uh, if you leave the UK, how many ties do you have? Do you have a house here? Do you have family here? Do you have this here? Do you have that here? Well, that's less days. So they're trying to make it more unpalatable because they don't want you to leave. They want to trap you. Let's... Just go through this very quickly with regard to tax. We pay 22, shortly to be 25% corporation tax. We pay 40% personal tax. We then pay VAT on everything that we buy personally that we can't claim back. And then on top of that, we die. And they take 40%. Now, if you work that out, and I've sat down and done this, it actually works to 197% they take. And that's not, that's not taking out your tax out of your fuel and things like that. So you have got to earn 11 times the amount to come out with 50%. And I've done the figures. So your two questions, and, and I'm sorry for the long answer, is if you are concerned about good schools, stay here, pay the tax. Because if you confuse your personal life with your business life, that's what the revenue have put those rules in place for. I can't leave because I've got kids in that school and I want them to be in the best place. Now, my whole decisions which is what makes it easy for me, are based on business. I make the business decision first 
then I concern myself about my personal decisions. Why? Because my business comes first. I build friendships based on business. I never build businesses based on friendship. That's just because I, you could say I'm a callous person inside, but I've come from the hard background. I don't want to go back there. Sorry for the long... So when you say, which country should I go to? There's a multitude. You could go to Dubai. But how many times do you want to come back here? Are your kids and your nieces in boarding school? Is there a level to a point that all of a sudden you know there's an age level that you're going to be happy for them to come out of that school and become an international student? But you're basing your facts and your sentences and your questions on business and personal. You have to make a choice. Do I base it on personal? Well, if you're basing it on personal, you're already giving yourself your answers. You like the schools, you like the community, you like England, this is where we're staying. If you base it on business, which isn't everybody's cup of tea, it's mine. Mine is based purely on business. I won't lie to you. There is no obstacle that can ever be put in my way, whether it be divorce, and I'm deadly serious, whether it be divorce. I said my tax advisor, don't worry, I'm getting divorced. You went, what? I went, no, that's what it takes. That's what it takes. They're not putting a barricade in my way to stop me. That's like somebody putting a, a, a gate on a field and saying you can't get in. My, my role is climb over it. I know you're supposed to open it. You go, fuck that, climb over it. That's my philosophy, sorry. Have you told that to your wife? Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. My mindset is very clear. It is, don't be afraid to speak what's clear. The things that are put there to stop you, you should be saying, why are they trying to stop me? What are they doing that for? I find those insults when a, when a country is actually... We, look, I'll go back to what I said earlier. There is a void here for SMEs to thrive, survive, and actually dictate. Because you've got to look at the paramounts. <coughs> they want people... Here's something that's going to kill you. 60, six, 70 million people in this country. I think the official figures are 68. There's actually 70 million. How many people do you think pay tax out of 70 million people in the UK? Quick guess, come on. 15, 15 million. It's actually 18. 18 million people and you can't buy that data. We buy data because I buy how many people are unemployed. Do you want to know how many? couple of million. It's unbelievable. So where's the other 50 odd million? Because we don't see the people like, and I use the phrase, job seekers allowance. God forgive me for saying this, and I don't mean no disrespect, disabled, care workers, all of your civil servants. They're paid, aren't they? Yeah, by us. It's crazy. It's cr when you really start going through and when you think of this, that the revenue need to shake the tree on only 500 people. That's crazy. 
Like I've had people say to me, my accountants and my tax advisors, Alfie, you don't do yourself any favours by being <laughs> in the public eye. My reply to that is, haven't I suffered enough as a gypsy having to hide who I am to now have to hide again? No, that doesn't work for me. I want to be able to stand up and go, well, that's a fact. You know, and that's the reason why I'm proud of our country. I love our country. It's great for us. Look what it's done for me. Look what it's done for me. I swear this, uh, because it's, it's passionate to me, and our country's passionate to me, about the business it can offer us, what it can do for us. But don't give it in one hand and destroy it in another. On that call, or that Zoom call, the head of the revenue said to me, look at what this country has done for you. Because I, you know, no, no, but I accept that. But do you know what my reply was? Wow, you are so right. Why didn't you do it for everybody? Why didn't you do it for everybody? I said, because I did it. I said, I was just given the opportunity in this country. I said, but it didn't come easy. And, and trust me, I, I was asked, I think actually by Rob, would I do it all again the same way? And I don't think I would. I actually think it was too hard the way I did it. And I say this to you openly, honestly, with no agenda. I wished I'd have had a mentor that was helping me. Because Rob isn't only mentoring you here. He's mentoring all of you and you're mentoring each other. That's why great groups come together. One of my questions that I asked Rob over there, I said, what's the demograph? He said, these are all good business people that are thriving. His words. So that might show how much faith he's got in business in the UK as well as you. And I heard, you know, some of the things that he said, oh, it's, it's great about where we sit. But the truth is, it's fact, it is. Because it takes one little thing, like I've said today, that cost me hundreds of thousands of pounds. And that's get insurance on your tax. Gives you power, gives you a voice, and doesn't make you all of a sudden have to shriver down knowing you're going to be... Because the tax man wants you to cower. That he's got this massive great machine that's going to just trundle on. And they've done it to us, and they've been carrying trundling on. What a shame. What a shame. Sorry. No, don't, don't be sorry. Um, Fee, I think about this a lot because I'm... Mark and I talk about it a bit, and we're pissed off, as you know. And we're close, probably. So I just made my decision, I'll get my kids through school. And then, you know, when my daughter's 18, probably before that, but at that point, I'm going to really seriously consider it. That's what kind of I've said to myself. You know, my, my dad just turned 80. He's still here. My mum, obviously, our business is here. So made the decision to, to stick it out make the best of it, make as much money as we can. And then when those tires have gone, which for me are probably be maybe nine, eight or nine years, then look at it seriously. Because that gives me eight or nine years to look. 
Because I actually think, I mean, Lisbon, a lot of people are going to. Dubai, you know, there was mentioned. You know, the states in America. Because even though people aren't leaving America, they're not. They're leaving certain states in the droves and running to others. Like everyone's going to Texas and everyone's going away from the West Coast, which is where it was all at. So that's all changing because obviously they have state. The laws are different in each state. But, you know, you, you've got a bit of time to go and hop around these countries and have a look and speak to people who are there. Because I bet Alfie didn't think about it five minutes before he decided to go to Monaco. He would have looked around and he's still looking. Yeah. So I think you've, you've got time to do that. Um, I mean, my wife wouldn't have any of this, so I just had to know my place and get back to work. But I did consider homeschooling. I did really think that... Like, I send my private kids to school, not for the education, because they're actually getting all their resourcefulness hammered out of them by the school system. And it makes me, it makes me upset to say it. I send them to the private school for the network. That's it. Rob, can I... Can yeah, I please. Just, yeah, yeah. What Rob's talking about here, if I can just interject very quickly, I want to tell you two stories. And um, when I come up... Do you want us to cancel the rest of the day? <laughs> <laughs> and these are paramount, actually, I think, to Rob and to anybody else that's got kids in private school. Now, by the way, just so we're clear, I am absolutely an advocate of private schooling. And I mean, uh, uh, it, it it's been agreed, but I haven't officially done it yet, and you're hearing it for the first time. I'm going to be funding Oxford uh, University, um, which will hopefully come in by the end of, the, end of this year, for a number of um, under, really underprivileged kids from the Gypsy and Travelling community and other areas to be able to get a college degree or a university degree from Oxford. It's something that I've took upon that I wanted to do and I think there's a select number of about 30 kids that I'm funding them through it and I'm doing it with the Oxford University. So I'm an advocate of private school. But, and this is the but bit, I'm not going to mention any names but these are true stories. Two friends of mine <coughs> um, that were, let's just say they were from the streets, but wealthy individuals, but were no-nonsense people. You know, uh, it, there was no negotiations around the boardroom tables with these types of people. It was, you know, you've got a backhander. So both of their kids went to private school. Both of their kids committed suicide. Okay? What happened was this. They'd go to this beautiful private school, and they were the best of private schools in central London. And they'd come home, and the, the science teacher or the economic teacher, um, <laughs> uh, I, 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 there's a little joke I just thought of, but, but I'll tell you it in a minute. Sorry. Um, it was funny, so I laughed. <laughs> I'm just not going to share it with you now. <laughs> so the, uh, both of these kids came back both committed suicide in their 20s. This is what would happen. They would go to school, and the fathers were go-getters, did really well in their life. But when they'd come back, the kid would go, oh, Dad, I did economics today. And I did this and I did that. And, you know, we need to do more for the ozone layer and the, the green piece. 
The dog goes, you're an idiot. What, what are you listening to that idiot for? You're a mug. You want to worry about how you're going to starve in the morning sun. So all of a sudden, these kids were going to school, being taught and paid to be taught by the best in their field. Then coming home, and these were real street level people. They'd have a fight possibly once a day. They weren't travellers, by the way. But the kids were coming home and seeing that, and then going back. And I sat down with my friend and spoke to him about it. Now, I never put my kids through private school. Thank God I didn't when I was in my 20s. I'd have acted the same way. I'd have been, what are you on about? Business is difficult, hard enough. I don't want to know about the green piece. I don't want to know about the ozone layer. I want to know how we're going to get fed in the morning. I would have been the same way. If I put my kids through the school today, it, and I would put them through, it would be a whole different thing. I would be going, wow, tell me more about this. And I would embrace that circle, embrace the mothers and fathers, you know, like, and embrace that community. Because what Rob said, it's not the education you're paying for, it's the network. So you cannot isolate your kids. There are times in life, and never at any other time in my life, and it shocked me when I had this conversation with my friend, quite a prevalent character, and he went, I made a big mistake, Alfie. I wasn't mentally mature enough at that time to embrace it. I just thought you sent them to school and I had the same conversation, what was going through my mind in my business. He said, if your kids go to a private school, no matter your background, creed, colour, race, or whatever it is, you embrace what they're doing. Because you're paying for those people to teach your kids. And I can only say the damage you can do. I've now implemented that in my businesses. And what I'm saying by that is, I'm a chameleon. I am a genuine actor. I treat one customer very different than I'll treat another because their needs are very different. I'm not saying it's not one rule for everybody because it is, but their needs are so different. Sorry if that's taken no, a bit long. Thank you. But... thank you, Alfie. All right, Fee, so what are you going to fucking do? <laughs> Chew on that. <laughs> Right, who is next? Um, did you have one, Rick? Yeah, yeah, so... Um, so this is Rick. Hi, Rick. This is Alfie. I've been lucky enough to meet you a few times. Um, so when I seen you walking, I was uh, quite pleased because I know you really... I'm not gay, Rick. And, uh, <laughs> it's, it's actually Rick. <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> um, I don't know if you remember, but when we was in my bath, you got on the boat and I got off the boat. I, I was, do, yes, yeah. you were seasick, if I remember. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so I actually missed two hours of... Um, yeah, but I obviously got... Well, I, you wouldn't have missed much. They threw me over. <laughs> uh, and then, I, I, luckily enough, I got to meet you again at uh, Canary Wharf with your son. And um, obviously, I spoke to you a little bit there in, in regards to my kids and stuff like that. Privilege so, is always mine. But thank you. Uh, cheers. Um, but one of the things, um, sort of following on to questions I've asked you before, um, obviously, and, and thinking about the schooling system and the fact that they don't teach your business and they don't teach us anything other than the, the straight and narrow, so to speak, and getting a job and staying in a job and paying a pension, etc. But how, how much do you force onto your kids or do you sort of encourage your kids, if you like, or, to go down? Okay, 
if I'd have, I, I, can, I can only speak from experience of mine. I didn't send my children to private school. Um, if I had have sent them to private school, and I sent them to private school now, I would be fully embracing whatever they were being taught. I would fully embrace it. Because you can't pull a person's mind, especially at a young age, saying that the man they're sitting in a classroom going three hours through is an idiot and he doesn't know what he's talking about because he knows about the ozone layer and he knows about the global warming and all of a sudden I'm, I'm stressed up to my head because I've got 800 million that I, that I need to be paying back and if I don't pay it back... I, and it's very easy to fall into that trap. I would embrace it. But what I would do right now, if I was there, I would be talking to my children from a very early age, what do you want to be? Because I think you don't have to be in business to be great. You can be part of a business and be great. Some people need different types of support in different ways. And if you want to be in business, <coughs> choose the business, what you've got a flair of. If you think of just of this, a football player is absolutely phenomenally great. They're doing a job that they love. They're doing a job that actually pays them to kick a football around. But what we don't realise is the skill set, the time and the work they're putting into that. But they are the most let down people on this planet. Most sportsmen are because they're thrown into it because they show a glory of talent and then that talent's nurtured through and they're turned into superstars. They're let go when they're 30 or 32 with no business acumen and their earnings have gone from £100,000 a week if they're lucky to £1,000 a week, if they're lucky to get a few appearances on a few TV. And all of a sudden, they're not taught how to manage their money. Going to school is the same thing only you're learning them how to manage their money. I would re-engage my kids, like I didn't give my kids. I helped, I provided, but the one thing that I have instilled is a work ethic. Because by instilling that work ethic, the one thing it will always do is give them a reason to get up in the morning. The worst thing that you can have for a kid, in my opinion, is not having a reason to get up. That creates so many other problems, and I've seen it. We've got a, a young girl that worked for us, and I could genuinely see she was on a mental slide down. She works in another business. And I said to the MD of the business, who's a business partner of mine, <coughs> company was called Wildcrest Events, does VIP boxes around uh, the UK. I said, she's brilliant. I said, but you're killing her. And he went, well, why is it my fault? He went, why is it my fault? He went, she's got her own home life. And he's a very good director, but he's all about the business. To create a good business and to create loyalty within a business, you've got to make sure people are happy. And if they're happy at home, they're happy at work. Actually, it makes them stick with you even longer. They'll virgin, pay less, than BA, but yet people would prefer to work at Virgin. That lifestyle, I heard Rob talk about just a minute ago, gym membership. With all of our uh, employees that work within Wildcrest, 
we make sure, we make sure all of them have health insurance, but we also make sure their wife and their kids have health insurance. We protect the family. Because if the wife's happy, if the kids are happy, they're not worried whether dad's happy. <laughs> Do you understand? So going, everything relates back to kids. Finding what their love is, and whether you like it or whether you don't, try and embrace a little bit of it. And that's the hardest thing, because as adults, you've got to say, if we don't like doing a sport, we don't particularly want to go and see the sport. But I did it with my own son. With, he liked football. I was intent that he boxed. Now, luckily, he did like boxing. I should have actually followed him through with the... Because if he went to the football, I didn't bother going. How terrible is that? I, you know, I, and, I, and I'd blame it on work. But yet, I always made the time for the boxing. Does that answer the question? Or? Yeah, cheers. Thank you. So I've just... Um, I say just finished. I finished it a few months ago, my book, Money Matrix. And I looked into this a lot, the school and the education system. <coughs> it's not all bad and I just think for me to make things really simple if you want to be a doctor a dentist a lawyer an accountant a solicitor blah 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 going to a good school and a good university is likely to get you into a good company and you're going to have probably the best potential corporate type career that you could have it's going to be harder to get into that career and corporate if you're homeschooled and you're an entrepreneur, but if you're homeschooled and you're an entrepreneur, you don't want to be in that. As you go further down the rabbit hole of researching the world and you find things out, you start to feel like, okay, well, essentially the school system, just like the banking system, is an indoctrination system to maximise tax revenue and interest from you because you are a product to the banks. Banks, government, school system, all owned above here. They, they make out they're separate. They're not separate. The governments and the central banks are not separate. They make out that they are. That's the story. Actually, if you go 13 companies, sorry, 13 families. So they've created the system. Now, here's the thing. That pissed me off when I first really feel, figured out about that. But if you set up your company, you're going to run it your way. So Alfie and I are doing the same as the 13 most powerful families in the world, which is they're running their company their way, they just happen to own the fucking world. If we own the fucking world, we'd probably have be a bit power hungry as well. We're running our companies in our own way. So I've kind of morally and ethically transcended that and just gone, well, they're just running a company, it's just a fucking big one, because um, you're the product. When you know you're the product, i.e., what do they want from you? tax revenue and interest, that's why they want you to own a home, that's why they want you to get you know, a car loan and a loan for a conservatory. So I don't want my kids to be indoctrinated by that system in an ideal world, but if they want to be doctors, they're going in that system and I'm, an, I'm going to embrace it because it's probably the best way. Because you, know, you can start a business and make money. You can't go, give me a fucking knife, I'll have a go at surgery. It, just, it doesn't work like that, and you need to go down that road. That's how I compartmentalised it in my mind. And you know when I said about they, they, they take all the resourcefulness and they, they unlearn you in that system in terms of being entrepreneurial, disruptive, rebellious, 
creative, solution focused. I'm going to win no matter what. I'll always be successful. I'll beat the system. That's what they hammer out of you in this. Because if, you let, if they hammer that one out of you, you're going to pay maximum interest and tax. Whereas if you've got that all within you, you're going to do what Alfie's doing, which is minimising his tax and, and ultimately leaving. That's the way I see the two roads. But here's, I made a mistake, and I think every parent makes the mistake. You can't help it. You want your kids to be like you. Your kids are them. So if my son really wants to be a doctor, that's him, and I embrace that. If they show some flair. So my daughter's started a bracelet-making business. She loves making bracelets. I'm like, fucking yes. And so when we go to Pandora, I'm like, imagine if you had Ariana. You know, in every show. She, oh, yeah, Ariana's. That's what I'm going to call it. And so, because, but that came from her. I wasn't like, oi, bitch. <laughs> I want it to be. <laughs> Um, that's how I've looked at it. Hopefully that's useful. All right, cool. Next, oh, we'll, go, we'll go David, then Mark for, for Alfie. So this is David, this is Alfie. Hi, David, pleasure. So I do a lot of work around mindset and getting over conquering negativity, reducing the impact that judgment has on people. You're obviously very proud of your community, your history. Uh, UK and you advertise yourself as a gypsy billionaire, etc. If you were in a room talking to people who felt heavily judged for any reason, what advice would you give from the lessons you've learned through life, given the stigma that is thrown at, at gypsies and travellers? Okay. Right. For, for quick answers. <laughs> um, number one, I don't believe in racism. I actually don't believe that racism actually exists. And uh, I'll, I'll explain my reasons why. Um, number two, I never told anybody that I was a gypsy up until I was, I don't know, 18 years ago. Why not? It comes with a stigma, liars, cheats, and thieves. I am good at most of those. <laughs> 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 um, but by the way, they're all true, just so we're clear. And I'll explain that. And the la but last but not least, I've always tell myself I'm having a great day. And I have some bad days. But I then look at those and go, no, the bad days are just learning days. I've got, it is imperative imperative we get up in the morning no matter what somebody throws at you is I'm having a great day now we have a problem and I'll start with this one in reverse in the UK and we are a country that has semi lost its way and it's lost its way in this point the culture used to be stiff upper lip Good old British, stiff upper lip, and you had it. Now, all we do is talk about the weather. And the problem is with the weather in the UK, it's sunny one day, cold the next, snowing the next, windy the next. Well, that causes us to be in a poor mindset because we get up, we don't know how to dress. You look at most people in the room, we're dressed differently. You go to Spain, 
You go to Barbados, you go to somewhere where it's hot, everybody's dressed the same. T-shirt, shorts, slippers. The UK puts us in a bag. Oh, my mum, I love her to death. I've told this story before. I go there and it's hot. Oh my God, I can't stand this hot weather. I go there and it's quite freezing to death. Oh, you'll kill yourself driving in this rain. Everything's a problem. So I now go, it's going to be a great day. If you do that every morning and through the day to yourself, and I'm not talking about in some happy clappy. Somebody asks you, how are you? Every day is a great day. I will only ever say that because my mood affects the outcome of that person's response to me. I'll explain. If somebody's in a bad mood, you can't wait to get away from them. If somebody's in a good mood, you're happy to discuss with them. They have an effect on your business. Forget the personal bit because I'm only business minded. My whole life is based around business. Sad, but that's just the way I love it. That's the way I love it. My life is based around business. So now let's come to the elephant in the room that I've just put out there. I don't believe in racism. True story. I'm sitting down with the Prime Minister of Barbados. Her name's Mia Motley, an absolute wonderful woman. But let me tell you, this woman doesn't suffer fools lightly. She would, she's a personal friend, and uh, I got to know her really well. So the first time we're sitting there, we talk about, and she's telling me about Barbados now. Barbados was a, a, a plantation, slave uh, a plantation country. And uh, she said to me, she said, do you know Alfie, she said, uh, Barbados was the last place to create freedom. I went, really? I said, what's that then? She said, well, because when the Americans abolished slavery, she said, they didn't tell us, and it carried on for another seven years. That's absolutely true. She said, it was an incline, and I went, wow. I was like horrified. But we built up a real kindred spirit. Because I'm a traveler, now, I use the word traveller just so you're aware. Traveller carries a wide variety. It means minx, it means pikey, it means traveller, it means gypsy. Okay? And none of those words are derogatory, not even pikey. Pikey is just rhyme and slang for do as you like it. <laughs> That's what it means. It's only when you know the context of it. So she said, I said, I said, I don't accept racism. And as far as I'm concerned, Mia, it doesn't exist. How can you say that? Alfie, I'm good. I thought I was going to get a right-hander. So I said, because, Mia, the word racism was made up by some white man who was taking the piss. She went, what? I went, look. You, I said, racism stems from somebody that's black. It said in the context of it. I'm being a gypsy and being white. I could always deny I was a gypsy. And get away with it, do you know what I mean? Until they said, no, I saw him steal that silverware. I have to go, bloody hell, they caught me again. <laughs> so I said, I said, no, Mia, I said, what happened was, was this. Somebody was being abuseful to somebody who was black. I said, and then there was some other white guy there who turned around and said, oh, don't stand for that, my good man. He's being racist to you. 
And the black guy said, what do you mean? Well, he's only saying it because you're black. And then that guy would go, you're absolutely right. You're saying that because I'm black. He was taking the piss. I'm sorry, it's abuse. No different than calling somebody ugly, fat, thin, and any They're being abuseful. When I'm called a stinking, thieving pikey, I turn it on its head and I go, well, that's Chanel, and I just stole your lady's heart. <laughs> My point is, don't accept what people throw at you. And it took me a long time to learn. Creed, colour, race, deficit, anything at all. What somebody throws at you is their own insecurities. Whether you're black, white, disabled, ugly. <laughs> no, ugly, doesn't matter. Have we paid you yet? Yeah. <laughs> Record the invoice. Don't allow people's indiscretions to turn them into something they're not. Abuse is abuse. Now, I then went on and I said, gypsies come with a stigma, liars, cheats and thieves. It's all true. Let me explain. Gypsies 30 years ago, not so much now, actually were the poorest race of people that lived in caravans on the side of the road that had, that had coursing dogs that went out onto a field and what they killed, they ate. What would you do if you were that poor to get by? Would you steal or would you starve? Would you lie to get by? Yes, you would. And I've had people say, well, I wouldn't. I go, well, that's funny, because there's a film at the moment of, I think, 37 very wealthy people on an aeroplane that all turn to cannibalism. That's called snow. It's trending now. It's about the 37 rugby internationals that started eating each other just to get by. You would be shocked what you do depending on where you're balanced on, on the ladder. I'm not saying it's right, but I'm just saying it is factual. Would I lie and cheat if I was that poor? Yes, I bloody would, because I'd make sure my family got fed first. Am I a moral person now? Of course I am. I can afford to be. <laughs> Sorry to put it so blunt, but they're the facts of it. And when you're born into a middle-class family, like <coughs> my children are, my son says to me, he went, we're the most, my son says this to me, he went, we're the most honest, honourable people, he said, I know. I went, no son, you can afford to be honourable. I went, get, get, get a grip. If you were starving and you had nothing, you would be shocked at what you would do to get it. People, you know, talk about where they are and give an opinion. I give a wide range of an opinion, but a bloody honest one. Sorry. That's nice. All good. Did you get, did you get your answer there? <laughs> Mostly. Yeah. Good. Um, Mark. Mark, this is Alfie. Nice to meet you, Alfie. Thank you so much. Pleasure. Mesmerising listening to you, actually. It's a bit of a big question, but I thought you were a big guy, so I'll ask it. Fire away. How would you fix the NHS using the experience you have as a patient, a father, and a business owner? Right, I thought he was going to say what size is your waist, then, didn't I? <laughs> <laughs> um, sorry, would you ask me the question again? How would you fix the NHS 
using the experience you have as maybe a previous patient, as a father, and a business owner. Okay. I really don't, I'm, I'm going to give you a number one, uncalculated answer, number two, an unqualified answer, and number three, an, uh, uh, it's a question that I would not like and don't like to answer. Reason I don't like to answer, I'm unqualified to give you an answer, and that's why this country is semi-broken. It asks people for discussions and answers on topics they know nothing about. I'm now the bike rider and you're now the helicopter owner, is, is the truthful thing. So I actually don't know. I've never thought about it. I've never looked beyond it. And I really don't want to particularly give an answer on something I know nothing about. Mm. Um, come to my moment, Jamie. I'm going to come in here and nick one. Um, Alfie. Mm -hmm. What one thing do you think you can attribute? There are probably many, but I'd like the one thing that's made you really rich. I swear this, it is not anything to do with me being smart or intelligent. It's just the work ethic that I put in and the hours I put in. I stay focused on one thing and I'm consistent, consistent on what I do and I make myself an expert in that field. I'm not saying I make myself the best expert, and I make sure that I'm passionate about it. That will always reap success. Mm. If you take, for instance, mm. I sell mobile homes. That's what I do. I believe in it because it's a solution to affordable housing. I'm not even going to bring that back up or whatever. But I have made myself a Z list semi-celebrity. What nonsense. But I sell mobile homes. It's an impossibility. <laughs> but I've made it sound sexy. <laughs> That's because I want to sell more mobile homes. <laughs> <laughs> it's the effort you put in. Yeah, great answer. Follow-up question then. I'm sure there are plenty of people who are hard-working, focused, consistent, and get good at something. And they may make a hundred grand a year, they haven't made a billion. So what thing in addition to that made you really rich? Okay, succession of steps on a ladder. And what I mean by that is this, duplication. The moment you become the go-to person, whether it be in the room, in the company, in the world, wealth creates wealth, it attracts wealth. People want to be around it. Whether we like it or not, we want to be around it. My point of turning point was creating, and this is my secret, creating a cult. My business is run like a cult. Everybody in my business believes in the dream because the dream is true. Everybody believes in it because it's factual. And all of a sudden, the people that were never going to be entrepreneurs but wanted to be great, wanted to be successful, have now got that chance to be successful by being on the same ladder with me. And that grows into a tree.
that tree then grows into a forest. It's about duplication. But the duplication has to be with you in filling that in people. And somebody that doesn't get your dream, don't employ them. Don't employ somebody just to do a job. Because they're a box filler that are looking at the clock, waiting to get out the door, waiting to have you over by 20 minutes because they think that's smart. It's the dumbest thing ever. The reason it's the dumbest thing ever. Anybody that works within my organisation, if they steal five minutes, I tell everybody in the room. I tell everybody in the office. He's just put five minutes on everybody else here. Because while he's skiving off, you're paying for it. My business is run for everybody. And you've got to instill that dream of what you're trying to achieve. You can't instill that dream if you don't believe. And that's, that's my secret. Wow, great answer. Jamie. This is Alfie, this is Jamie. Hi, Jamie. It's probably a very similar question to me, but I'll ask it, and if you're saying it's the same answer, that's cool. So, same answer. <laughs> no, I'm joking. <laughs> no, no, come on, come on. Fiona got an hour and a half, you've got 10 seconds. <laughs> so, I want to build something really big. I want to leave something, um, a legacy, not much for the kids, and want to have a big impact. So, I believe that does take a higher level of wealth and much more towards your level. And using your analogy of the ladders, you've got to go up the rungs and everything. But I believe that what it takes you to go to all right, a million a year, and then go to five million a year, and then to ten million a year, maybe isn't the same ladder to be climbing to go, right, how do I go to a hundred million a year or, or even more? So. My question is, what's the key difference that got you from zero to millionaire and millionaire to billionaire? Okay, <clears throat> well, it is a different question. There is no difference, but there's a breakthrough barrier. Now, if I, can I stand? Mm, yeah, yeah. There's a breakthrough barrier. I, when you operate as you, it's you. You stop work, you stop earning. Even if you have multiple income streams from property, all it will do is stand still. Grow in value. But all the time you're on the bike or in the helicopter pushing it, it will grow. But there is a breakthrough barrier what a lot of people get to and they can't get beyond it. And I'll tell you what that barrier is. Happens to a lot of builders all the time. So let's say, for instance, if I can simplify it a little bit. I had a drainage company. I bought 50% of this company uh, called Southern Drains. They had five vans. I operated it and got it to 15 vans. But to get it to 15 vans, the company made less profit because I needed further staffing, better operations. And what you find is to really be transparent within your business, the government puts legislation on you. You now need to be audited. My audit of my company is 150, just an audit, 150,000 pounds on one company. So now I've got this extra cost of three grand a week. So you get this level, we got to 15 vans. 
my business partner was going, I thought you, you knew what you were doing. We're making less now than what we were making when we had five vans. You're mad. And it took me six months of badgering him and badgering him to let me increase the cost again. And we were at a point where we were losing more money on 15 vehicles. And that's the, what was, you know, what runners have what they call the wall. That is the business wall. That's the business wall. That's the, forgive my language, the shit or bust or you are going for it. That's the level and you need that level to then create duplication. But that's when you can fall over. Because if the duplication doesn't come well enough, see that first layer, what is running 15 vehicles, and I pushed and I pushed, I got us to 45 with the same layer. Now we were making eight times what we were making with five vans. Do you follow me? But then that comes with another challenge. Because your sales team, and these are the points, and these are the failings that I've made in business. Employing the best salespeople who are great. I'm a great salesman. I'm a great salesman. But I'm not a good salesman. A great salesman is the man that gets the sale done, gets your name on the sorted line and walks out the door. A good salesman follows his customer's journey. I'm the deal maker. A good salesman follows it through. I don't want great salesmen. I want good salesmen. I want good salespeople that care. They follow the customer's journey. Do you know why? He ends up making more sales because he's not there for the kill. I hate to say it, I am. <laughs> I'm like, you know, like, that's, that's my makeup. You don't really hate to say it. But it's, <laughs> yes, because it's in me. Yeah. It's in me. But the truth is, the good salesperson, he keeps his customers. They refer the customers and they come on and on. Now we don't employ great salespeople that come in and sell themselves. We train them and we keep good people. And I use the word good people in good sales. I want them to follow that journey. I've, I haven't got the time to look after every customer. They have. And that was the next bite. So the first bar is the runner's wall of suffering to take that chance to duplicate again. And that suffering is, hold on, I've got more employees, I've got more vans, I've got more, and I'm making less. That's your part of where you are building to then go again. And that's when you've got to have nerves of steel. And that's why I'm, I don't want this to come across condescending. But what I have done in business, I wouldn't wish on anybody and I wouldn't advise anybody to do what I did. I now do business a different way. I own Europe's largest residential mobile home park operation. We are the biggest park operator in Europe ever to exist. Our closest competitor is 40% of the size of us. 
We've got 120 parks, 119 parks, and 16,000 residents, just in one company. I own 100% of that company. I would not wish on anybody to do that the way I did it, because I, on my mother's life, on my children's life, and I never get home alive, I physically was starving. On some days I was doing deals for a million pounds because I was scraping, I was borrowing off of credit cards to pay that deal. Jeff Bezos owns 15% of Amazon, and it's one of the biggest companies in the world, and he's one of the richest men in the world, because I did this, it's mine, it's mine. Be prepared to share. Be prepared to bring an investor on board, but an investor that brings knowledge as well as money. That really helps, and now that's how I go to work, and I don't suffer as much pain. That's, that's the truth. Does that answer your question? Mm, very good. Thank you. Sorry. No, uh, uh, brilliant answers. We're going to take one more. So, ah, Jess. Jess, this is Alfie. Alfie Hi, Jess. Jess. Really lovely to meet you, and thanks for all your insight. Many of my questions have been answered thanks to these people, but the main question in my mind is, um, if you look back throughout your whole life, uh, what um, situation or what happened that caused you the most growth? So that could be what was the biggest mistake, because often mistakes we learn from. It doesn't have to be. I'm, I'm not sure if I understand the question correctly. Um, is the question, what is something that I've done, good or bad, that caused me to do my most, my biggest growth spurt? Yeah, something that happened that, that, that caused the learning. So it, that can often be something that, uh, for some people, that can be a traumatic experience. It might be... Uh, you know, something that happened with the tax that you're talking about, but what caused you to really look into that and then uh, create growth from that? Um, it's a real simple answer, to be fair with you. I bought a mobile home park called Saltmarsh Castle. I paid, um, and I, I'm lying to you now, it was either 5.2 million or 4.6 million. And I knew that the previous people had made a mistake and allowed the <clears throat> helicopter pilot to sell the bike. Let me explain. Uh, by the way, that catapulted my uh, value of the park from 5 million to 120 million in a period of four months. This is what happened. This particular mobile home park is called Saltmarsh Castle. I bought it... Um, I bought it uh, from the bank manager. Okay. Now this is what I say, and I go back to your question, what you said earlier about asking a question to somebody who's not compliant to give you an answer. If that person gives you an answer, he's either con very conceited or he's an idiot, and he's an idiot to himself. And that would have been me, I felt, if I gave you an answer. But the reason that I'm saying this I had an educated person, honest, straightforward, who actually somebody I would go to for advice. And this was the biggest learning curve that changed my whole mindset. The family, uh, the guy died, 
left it in um, probate and um, the, uh, what, uh, the administrator for the probate was his bank manager, long-term friend that he'd known for 20 years to distribute it for the family. There was a daughter and a son. I, it's a 200-acre uh, uh, estate on an old castle that was blown up in the war. It's owned by the Bernardus family. And it had planning permission, which was called Red Line Blanket Planning Permission, which was pre-1960. I read the paperwork and I knew this. So I kept thinking, what's wrong with it? What's wrong with it? Because they were selling it as a caravan park with planning permission for 100 units. So at the time, 100 units, 50,000 pounds a plot, is worth five million pounds, okay? So I'm constantly, but the bank manager was a great guy, good in overseeing of business, but he wasn't an expert in that field. Even the estate agency, who was an expert in that field, knew, but wasn't concerned. Why? Just wanted his fee. Just wanted his fee. So he didn't bother researching through the documentation. I read it. I applied for a certificate of lawful use to verify what I was saying was correct, which came through. And we took the, the site from... Uh, supposedly 100 units to 1,250. Now that means when the site is filled, every plot is worth 50,000 pounds. And we've also got an extra 100,000 pound profit, which we will take out of the units. It will take us 10 or 15 years to sell those, but we'll make 100,000 pounds times 1,250, which is 125 million. And when we're finished, the site will be worth 67 and a half million. So we'll turn something from 5 million 200 million. That's the greatest thing that's ever happened. But what it also learnt me and shook me to my boots was get the right answer off the right person. And that's why this country is not running right at the moment. <coughs> we go out to the voting system and ask me about the healthcare. Oh, what the? Don't ask me. Ask the people that work within it, the people that visit it. Ask the right person for the right answer. Don't ask the wrong person because you like the look of his face or her look of her face. So, I know I take long with my answers, but I'd like to make the point. So. Yeah, and I just think it's incredible because you inspire me because you've come from um, a certain background and have become amazing. My original question was going to be, where did you start out? But you well, I won the lottery. <laughs> <laughs> it was a rollover. Did, 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 Rob, Rob missed that all out early. <laughs> a rollover. <laughs> it was a Euros million, I think. It was <laughs> I think you'd agree this has been absolutely awesome. Please, can you give Alfie a huge round of applause? Thank you, Thank you Alfie.